Cougs House. All right. It's been a couple of days now since the Houston Cougars were officially embarrassed on national television by the Rice Owls and the Bayou Bucket. But is there anything to take away moving forward? Mm. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Cougars, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, here to break down all things Cougs. If you have a chance or just a hater who came to by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. We link the latest on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. Appreciate you making Locked on Cougars your first listen of the day. And welcome back to the YouTube channel. If that's where you found us, it is so good to see you again. Uh, remember, hit subscribe if we can get 2,000 by this weekend. Uh, I'm gonna buy someone a jersey. Um, it it's a it would be a cool marker to get into the Big Twelve, get someone a jersey, the Big Twelve mark logo on it. That said, we got to get there in a hurry if we're gonna do it. So make sure you hit subscribe, hit subscribe, hit subscribe. Now on today's episode, we got a couple different things to talk through. Um, I got some things I want to talk about. Donovan Smith, the offense that I do think worked against Rice. Uh, some things worth pointing out and talking through that I think are just frustration you have. The defense, I got to talk about some stuff that. I don't have as much like breakdown play by play because I don't necessarily know what Rice is doing every play, um, but stuff I want to talk through as well that are mo- more X's and O's schematics kinds of things. And the final segment on revisit those keys of the week that we did not accomplish. Or, uh, so we'll see if we accomplished all of those things on Saturday. Now, before we get too far into this episode, let's make sure we talk about. Obviously, this was a uh, lackluster performance in the first half. Houston came back and almost won, forced it overtime, double overtime, and did lose 43 to 41. And um, I think the offense got a lot of flack for how they played in the first half because they walked out with a touchdown at the end of the half that otherwise they would have gone scoreless against Rice in the first half. Now, Donovan Smith, the quarterback, bears the brunt of that. And I've actually been. Uh, pleased to say the least there have been parts of his play that have made me enthusiastic as well um he mostly played it safe his lone interception in the game was in the first possession he got hit on it he was sacked three times uh per pro football focus they have not pressured 10 times i would have thought it was more like 12 or 13 live but they're pressure uh, definitions are obviously a little bit like specific and so they had 10 pressures um, what i thought was interesting is that he operated with less than 2.75 seconds for the vast majority of the game that's less than 2.75 seconds between catching the snap and being having to make a decision either throwing it or taking off um that's a really really low number for college football you typically see college football if a great offensive line will get you closer to three and a half you're hoping to be over three less than 2.75 in the football game is low that to me is an ind- indicator of how strong the pressure was from rice he had 48 dropbacks and was pressured on 10 of them blitz 15 for whatever it's worth in those 15 blitzes and i think the reason that rice kind of called off it he was 75% completion against the blitz that means he's finding blitz breaks well and doing a good job of reading his keys on those. Um, those also, for what it's worth, he, he had a really high percentage throws in play action as well, which would throw off the blitz number some, um, the, the non-blitz number some. But his uh, play action plays, his high percentage of completions, was it was over 60. Um, doesn't necessarily count for his pre-snap RPOs, 
more on though in a second more on those in a second um i said in the post game which is still a couple days ago in the feed if you can go back and check it out that i believe dana took over play calling in the middle of the second quarter and that's why the offense looked so so different um Donovan Smith looked more comfortable in it, and you saw a lot more in the mid-second of what I call odd formations, which is not to say like an odd number of people, but like dead T with no receiver outside on the left side and trips into the boundary or stacked up receivers split way out wide to space the field or different things like that. Um, the first touchdown, right, was a pass to Matthew Golden in which they went dead T to the left side, being no receiver outside of him. And the three receivers on the far side ran a uh, crosser-crosser streak concept, meaning the first crosser is Manjack. He takes away the safeties. The second crosser was Matthew Golden, came across the middle for the touchdown. And the far side, you had the streak to make sure he took away the corner. Great cover three beater. However, the thing I think that's interesting in looking at that is they had a, uh, I don't want to say a decoy route, but the tight end on the, on the left side also occupied a safety and corner of his own deep hook route. Um, again, those are things that Dan Hogerson is very, very famous for always having run. I want to talk through, it might feel visual at first, but I want to talk through some stuff you saw in the overtimes because I think the last play itself got a lot of criticism. But if you go to the first overtime, you'll see that it makes a lot of sense. So for the video audience, or you'll see this in picture, but Houston is lined up. Um, oh, here, here's the first in the pre-snap. You see Donovan Smith in the backfield with Stacy Sneed, an H back, tight end to left side, and then receivers on the top side of the field, the right side of the field. Um, in the pre-snap here, you look at all the blue jerseys lined up at the line of scrimmage. Uh, that is, was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people in the box? This is a very clear pass read. I'm making it very clear to say pass read because Houston's actually running a pre-snap RPO here in which Donovan Smith is counting the box and seeing what Rice lines up in, and that's going to dictate what he does. This is in the first overtime on third and two at the goal line. And in our second slide here, you'll see he actually play actions that fake handoff, um, and the Rice Owls are got pretty good penetration. The safety at the top of the screen there is blitzing in playing the run on a play-action play, which, of course, opens up the top side of the field for Matthew Golden to run the corner route, and underneath him, Sam Brown, to run a drag across the field, which, if the corner bails on Golden, is wide open for a touchdown as well. The corner does not, and instead, the corner comes underneath with the drag, and Golden gets the ball put perfectly in the corner of the end zone. Again, that's in the first overtime period for the touchdown. Uh, this would felt like at the time Houston was going to win because the defense has had such a great second half. This was a great home run hitter feeling touchdown. And in the overtime after, in the second overtime, I should say, after uh, Donovan Smith has a bubbled snap that he ends up taking in for a rushing touchdown, Houston's got to go for a two-point conversion. The same kind of concept gets called here. They line up like this on the screen. You can see if you're listening, you have a single receiver out wide to the left, then a, a pair of receivers at the right. That is Matthew Golden in the slot and Sam Brown out to the far right. And then in the backfield, you have Donovan Smith furthest back with two H back tight end types up at the butts of the tackles just outside. Now that's because the run play here, the pre-snap RP, I'm going to give you a secret is going to be the quarterback. If, they run it. And they lined up like this. Rice called a timeout to come over and talk about it. And then they came out from the timeout and lined up like this again. Now, that's drawn some criticism, but it's a pre-snap RPO. 
So as you count the guys there again, you've got seven guys directly in the box, the down linemen, the two linebackers, one safety over the top there on the one H back, and then the one safety splitting the difference between Matthew Golden and the other H back is also at the edge of the box, if not just a step outside of it. That counts as a box player for the intense purposes because he can likely come up and fill the run. Houston has seven players blocking or seven players in blocking position and eight defensive players in the box. That cues a pass read. Then, as you see here in the second uh, screen, as they go through the play, same concept. Sam Brown is running a drag underneath while Matthew Golden is running to the corner of the end zone. We've seen this completed for a touchdown earlier. It makes sense that it'll be the same exact throw. But for further evidence that this is a possible run play, between the two screens, as I toggle here, you'll notice that the H-back from the top side and a guard on the top side, the left side of the football field, are pulling. Donovan Smith had the option in pre-snap to tuck this and run, but the defensive lineman dictated past the football. And then, I think the most disheartening screen of all, is the third play in which there's a lot of end zone outside of Matthew Golden to his right as he's running a corner route, and the ball is underthrown for a jump ball, ultimately getting broken up, and thus not a score. Houston then loses because they needed that score to keep the overtimes rolling. Now, I say all that to say that, A, there's a lot of criticism about Donovan Smith that had so much success running the football. Why didn't they continue? And schematically, for a new quarterback and a new offense, the rules dictated not to, right? If you look at like what the key is, the call is, those kinds of things. What I am betting and what I will finish this segment off is and moving forward, the adjustment Don, uh, Donovan and Dana will talk about and the adjustment that I would make from here on out. And the, I think the thing that Donovan has to trust himself on is that in that instance, when it's on the three yard line, I understand the rules say one thing, but that man is six foot five, 245 pounds, and the potential guy filling the hole is a small safety. To me, that's a time where a guy that's been in this offense for a long time, or perhaps just three weeks even at this point, you know, this Saturday, tucks the ball and runs it anyway, even if the pre-snap key might have dictated throwing. And the reason for that is, is that's the kind of thing where like, a players make plays. It's a Jimmy's and Joe's, not an X's and O's kind of moment where, yes, the offense dictates do this. And as a student of the game, Donovan Smith is doing the thing he's been coached to do. However, I think in looking at the situation, that might not be what they wish he'd done. And that's why I feel somewhat confident moving forward that this, while other parts of the game went wrong offensively in the first half, this was a learning experience that I think they can take forward in a positive direction. Speaking of positive directions, Let's talk about the shorts and pants that I'm wearing basically every day these days, and that is Bird Dog. Now, listen, Bird Dogs look good and feel good as well. Shorts and pants all fit comfortably, but they have a nice fitted look. As They have stretchy fabrics, so you don't like feel the fitted look, but you look the fitted look, if that makes any sense. Um, I wear these. On, I'm not going to say I'm showing you my pants, but I got them on right now. They're from my classroom. I wear them working out. I've worn them to the pool this summer. I wear them all over the place. I'm telling you, you need to get some bird dogs because I don't know what other shorts and pants you could possibly be wearing. Now, listen, if you're looking for the best fitting shorts and pants out there, you got to go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or into promo code locked on college at checkout for free bird dogs water bottle. This 
month or, or this time around, they're giving out a water bottle to anyone who tells them that we sent them. So make sure you go to birddogs.com or in a promo code locked on college to ch- at checkout to get a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free water bottle at checkout. You want to take your bird dogs off. I promise you. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so I mentioned that in the second segment, I want to talk to him about the defense. And I'm unfortunately not as positive about the growth direction there. Um, there were just some brain farts in the first half that I don't feel like are the same vein as what the offense is doing. I also feel like if Dana Holgerson's going to be the play caller from here on out, some of the stuff from before him calling plays feels like a moot point to go in and investigate, right? Um, for instance, in the first half, there were two different times in the first drive where Rice had a long gain and then had a score because Houston just lost guys in the zone. The first play, if you remember, was they had a great pass rush. The running back whiffed on a block, just absolutely whiffed, got up off the ground and turned around and was wide open. In the zone dropping scheme that we've run for a while now, you've seen different hole players, usually linebackers, sometimes a Nelson Caesar athletic type defensive lineman, Feeling what was called the hole, meaning you're underneath that deep 15 yard middle of the field, but over the top of the no, the we used to call it as a, when I would coach this kind of a scheme, a catch zone. Meaning, sure, you can catch the ball inside of three yards, and then we're going to rally and pummel you. Right, that's the point of the hole player is to take away those things after the fact. And if you want to get three yards of pass play, four yards of pass play, the hole player's job is to make you punished and feel it. And then over the course of the game, A, it's not sustainable because you only complete, you know, a great quarterback completes less than three-fourths of the balls they throw, right? And so theoretically, like, if you're only getting three yards of pass play, you're not getting a completion, you know, right, that's not great for you. The second part of that is, is that the whole player has to be disciplined enough to not go trailing underneath the deep middle stuff too far because they have to be able to rally to make the play on that spot. Now, it's different players, there's different teams all over the game, so I don't mean to, like, single anybody out. But Houston's whole player was in super, super deluxe retreat mode a lot of that first half, which is how that running back was able to get up after missing a block and scamper around afterwards, right? It's how McCaffrey, of, of all the guys to lose to, the McCaffrey brother. For Anyway, he's running a drag from across the left side of the field. Uh, JT Daniels does some scrambling and then just pops up, and McCaffrey is open about four yards off the line of scrimmage, and the whole player has dropped so far he can't come and make the tackle before Luke McCaffrey scampers in for the score. Those kinds of things, it is early in the season, but they're inexcusable. They cannot happen, right? And I'm sure, I like, Doug Belk is a very nice person. I am sure film on Sunday, Monday, etc., it's going to be difficult for those guys covering the middle of the field. It's a number of positions and a number of players did it. It's not worth singling anybody out. It was a problem, and it's a problem that has to be fixed. It's too easy to break. All you have to do is basically, 
honestly have enough time to throw the football because they're going to, if they're going to keep dropping with the deep middle, someone's going to be open sitting underneath it. And the game you're playing there is if I've got enough time to get him the ball, once you've run far away, that three yard pummel zone or, or catch zone turns into more like an eight, nine, 12 yard pummel zone catch zone. And that's not the same concept defensively. That's not the same scheme. Got to have some discipline there. If I'm understanding what I'm saying correctly, that's a problem. The other problem is, um, and admittedly, we did not have Dot and Wonko in this football game. And Rice has some success running the football, but not like, not big play success. Rice ran ran the football 31 times for 69 yards. That's not like great yards per carry. But the carries were all impactful because they got in jumbo sets with all the big uglies and all the tight ends. And I mean, classic, what we would call the 23 personnel, two running backs, three tight end type bodies on the field at one point and would just shove it down Houston. So admittedly, Don Wonko is on the field. That would have been a problem. It would have been tough if he was, but that would have changed things up a little bit there. But with him gone, Houston had a real, real problem with their basic gap scheme and the power kind of stuff. What I mean by that is you'd have the guard and center blocked down. The tackle is in what we call an ISO spot where he is taking his pre-assigned player based on the pre-alignment of the snap, typically a defensive end, wherever he wants to go. You're lined up straight up. We're going straight back. You're lined up on my inside. I'm going to the inside. You're lined up on my outside. I'm going to the outside. And then the backside skip puller, the backside guard in most instances in this game, would come around and basically just read, okay, that tackle is going down. I'm going out. That tackle is going out. I'm staying inside, right? Those kinds of things. Um, the H-back or the third tight end that's in the backfield would do, we called it a J-pull because you'd like to step up before you step out to block and curve out for a power play and make some help make a wall there so that way no one could crash inside. And then the running back just is following the big ugly guard behind there in, in the end zone or where it, those kind of things. It never hit for a lot of yards. This wasn't a Gasham. I think there was one or two missed tackles in like the second quarter. But honestly, this wasn't a Gasham type run scheme by any stretch. It was just the thing that they could run once they got inside of three yards or on after a pass interference in the end zone. That was kind of a bad call. They could punch it in for a touchdown. And for a two point conversion, they could run it again for the two points. The two point conversion itself actually is interesting. All the big uglies cause a giant pile up in the middle of the field, and he just bounces it because the scrape player over the top can't get across all the bodies in the way in less than three yards. I actually think he would have gotten tackled at more like four yards, but the deal is, is that's not, they only needed three, right? And there were several instances of that in the run game. I think people on Twitter figured out, like, you can't stop the run, you can't stop the run, they got three rushing touchdowns or whatever, like da da da. But the truth is, is that the running was only happening at super short yardage situations it wasn't something that they like hung their hat on and did well in the middle of the football field right that wasn't like their bread and butter after all uh for for what it's worth uh jt daniels was 66 percent completions for over 400 yards and had three touchdowns and his lone interception We'll talk about something I think he was actually right in a second in the coverage, but his lone interception was in the end zone, right? Now, interestingly enough, one coverage thing I think that was interesting that they did was that they kind of adjusted the course of the game to more of a combo zone man look. Um, 
they were in man coverage someone early because they were trying to just have him miss the whole spot early or whatever, right? And then man, they had a lot of trouble one on one with McCaffrey. I think, remember his long touchdown catch. It's a crazy good ISO play they run for him where they ran trips into the boundary, meaning on the short side of the football field, they had three offensive football players that all ran decoy routes. The tight end ran a streak to take away a safety. The slot ran an underneath drag to take away the underneath guys. And frankly, the outside receiver on that side ran a slant to kind of fill in behind him for a check down if anything else you know broke loose because of the drag taking stuff away. On the big open wide side of the field, the left side of the field, McCaffrey has a ton of room to work one-on-one with Brian George covering him. And the safety has eyes on the drag and can't get over the top to help over the top. Brian George's body language after the play makes me think he thought he had over the top help until he realized he didn't and started sprinting, right? But that's just a McCaffrey one-on-one situation where that's their best athlete and Brian George is fine, but not our best corner, right? And so suddenly you're looking at a bad situation and no safety over the top help. For what it's worth, the interception that uh, Houston had and that JT Daniels threw was a very, very, I mean, it was inside the red zone, so it was a shorter throw, but it was the same concept, right? They just ran a different receiver. They thought they could put a tight end type out, the 6'5 guy out there on Isaiah Hamilton, who's not very tall, and they thought they could get him on a jump ball on it. Same concept. Isaiah Hamilton forced the outside release and then played underneath it. The interception fell in his lap. Um, well played by Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah also had a forced fumble in this game. Isaiah had a very, very strong game defensively on a team that, frankly, had a very poor half defensively in the first half. Um, I do like how they adjusted to more of a combination coverage over the course of the game. I just I wonder why it took as long as it did. Now, speaking of taking as long as it did, I'm already going over on time. These things are not supposed to take this long. Let me get into, this, into the final segment and look at what keys of the game Houston was and was not able to accomplish. But first, if you're like me and you had a rough weekend, there's a, a way to make it better. And that way to make it better is FanDuel. Because you've got to get ready for the NFL season, the incredible offers that FanDuel has. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 back in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV, which I just switched to. I recommend it. Uh, now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. They currently have Houston TCU set at a seven-point difference. They have uh, Houston as a home dog at seven, plus seven. TCU is minus seven. The over-under set at 61.5. I've seen these two defenses play. I'm hammering hammering that over. I can't believe it's still set at 61.5 at the time there's recording. Go hit that now. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official sports partner of the NFL. All right, so here's the part where we kind of like go back and look and see how we did. And I'm going to put on the screen for the people at home, but I'm going to also read out loud for the folks in the audio audience. The keys to victory we listed before the Rice game were to get Donovan Smith a pocket to throw from. Well, if we're looking at that, he threw very well against the blitz, but he was pressured 10 times. Um, the under 2.75 seconds to throw indicates that that pocket might've existed briefly. Now I will say that they had a fairly strong second half offensively. And once they started getting things rolling, they had 35 unanswered points. 
So I don't act like that was a complete failure, but it was not something that they did start to finish by any stretch of the imagination. Establishing the run is something I actually think that Houston did very, very well. It's the second half of this key to victory that I don't think they did. And the first half of the key to victory is that they were supposed to establish the run. And that is, I think, fairly safe to say that they did. They had 183 rush yards and four rushing touchdowns. That is something that Houston did that demonstrably worked. There is no question that that worked. However, the second half where they can build the pass game off of that, Houston in play action was not great. Um, now, they had a couple drops, and that doesn't hurt uh, Donna Smith in my eyes as much, but it was not something I thought was Houston's strength by any stretch. Um, it frankly was kind of a, a, a hole in the first half, um, and I wonder what kinds of things they can do out of that. I will say that in you know replacing that, or because they hadn't established that, one thing Houston did very well was the pre-snap RPO stuff like we talked in the opening segment um, where they had simple box reads pre-snap and instead of play action, it was just a run pass option beforehand. Getting after JT Daniels in the pass rush, frankly, folks, um, wasn't as successful as it should have been, right? JT Daniels, again, threw for over 400, 401 yards, 66 and a two-third percent completion. Um, quarterback rating is 165.7. Three touchdowns, just the one interception, um, averaging seven or averaging nine point five yards passing per attempt. Um, that means they're mostly getting a first down every completion, and he had twenty eight of those in the first half alone. They had sixteen first downs, um, and again, this was while they would get in the jumbo stuff and be the big uglies and all the kind of stuff that you think of when you think of power of football. And I think that their head coach in his heart of hearts wants to do that, but he now has JT Daniels. Um, they were not that, right? They were not that. Uh, they were, Houston struggled to get after JT Daniels. And frankly, um, you know, as far as sacks go, Nelson Caesar had two. Um, and I think Malik Robinson got in close on a pressure as well. And um, th- like these guys had moments where they did. And, Frankly, after it was 28 to nothing, Houston kept them from scoring until the overtime where they got put on the 25 yard line, right? Like on the whole, things did turn around. And I maintain, like in the second time, that they learned something from this game that they can take forward. And that's the man's own combination stuff that they need to stick with. However, they didn't get after JT Daniels. He had 40 yards passing, 400 yards passing. It's unacceptable. Full stop. I think it's possible this can be a defense that was a good defense in week one and played poorly in week two. I really do. I think the thing we have to watch a few games now and see, though, is it possible as well that this is a defense with a lot of work to do that had a really good first week. Now, I think there's talented kids on it. I love the Link Fleming kid. I love Isaiah Hamilton. Um, I love what Hit brings to the leader. I love Nelson Caesar. I love Dot Nwankwo. These guys, they have some talent, but they got to gel as a group. They got to play as a group, and they've got to stop TCU as a group. I think that's the last podcast we're going to talk about Rice, at least for the rest of the week. But we'll see. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got other things you want to hear about Rice or talk about Rice, I guess you can tell me. But I'm kind of ready to flush that one down the commode. Uh, so tell me in the comments down below if you want to hear more about Rice, or if you want to move on to TCU, I'm probably just going to move on to TCU anyway, but tell me in the comments if you'd like to. 
Uh, thank you so much for making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Remember, Locked on Cougs is your favorite Locked on. I did that. I did that bad. You, you laugh at me now. It's this rice thing. Okay. Thank you all so much for making Locked on Cougs the number one podcast on the Houston Cougars. Remember, Locked on Cougs, a private Locked on podcast network. And that means your team every day. Go Cougs. I think they're laughing at the mess that up. I think they're laughing at that.